So a few weeks ago, when Jan Nell was here, um, he brought something to my attention that I've, I've, it wasn't like new or revelatory or something I haven't heard before. But it really started me thinking and started me kind of thinking beyond, it felt like I, I shelved this idea for a while. And, you know, you kind of get busy with other things in our faith, other things in our, in our faith journey. But one of the things that he kind of pointed out uh, and he was talking about is this idea of kingdom principles. And how the, in a kingdom, which we're not really accustomed to, but in a kingdom, the king sets the criteria of how the kingdom operates and how the subjects of that kingdom are to, to live their lives. And they're to live life under these principles that the king has, has set. And so when, when I heard that, I'm like, yeah. And, and it almost felt new, but, but it, it was nothing new. But, but yeah, there are principles that God has put in place through his word that he calls us as subjects of his kingdom to live by and to live under. And so I started reading the Bible kind of with, with a new set of eyes. And in fact, I even, I even um, started a whole new notebook. So as I go through and read the scripture, I am kind of recording these principles of the kingdom. When I began in the Gospel of, of Matthew, which I figured I'd start in the New Testament, it didn't take long before these principles came to light. When Jesus is in the desert being tempted, there's three of those principles. Don't, don't uh, live on bread alone, but the word of God. Um, you worship only the Lord your God. You don't test the Lord your God. These, these are principles. Then by the time I got to chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in, chap- in, in Matthew, it's like the machine gun of kingdom principle. It's just, it's, it's one after another after another as Jesus begins to establish what the kingdom looks like, how the subjects of the king are to live with, within the kingdom. I wonder, I wonder, like, if we were in a foreign country that Christianity was illegal, and... We only got like a small section of the Bible. And all we got were Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's all we had. We didn't have all of this. All we were able to get for our little underground church were those three chapters. And that's all we were able to read. That's all we were able to, to meditate on and pray through. I wonder how different, I wonder how different church would look. I wonder how different Christianity would, would look. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor uh, in World War II, he died in a a Nazi um, prison camp. He wrote a book called called, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, and I encourage everyone to read it. It's a great book. But he based that book on his kind of unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Gandhi based some of his political philosophies on the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And they've been used in other ways that, that have been derogatory to, to God's word. Um, there, there was a movement that uh, called it a slave mentality or a slave morality. But chapters 5, 6, and 7 have been powerful in presenting what the kingdom of God begins to look like. And so as I began to read it, 
the Beatitudes just jump right out, right out at me. These, these eight statements, these, these one-line things, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. They're, they're, they're simple truths, but Jesus begins with them as he kind of unpacks for us what the kingdom looks like. And, and I've been praying, you know, this is a, a, we're starting a new sermon series this week on the Beatitudes. But I, I was thinking to myself and praying through, and I don't know where I land on it yet, about preaching through the entire Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. I figure it will take at least six or seven months to get through um, with the speed that I tend to preach on sometimes. But we're going to begin, as I pray through, we're going to begin to look at the kingdom principles of the Beatitudes. The first four focus on us and God. The second four focus on us and in our relationship with with others, with the world. Now, I didn't put all of them up there, um, but I figure, let let me just read them all to you so you can get a general feel for what Jesus is saying. Begins in chapter 5, it said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus finally begins to teach this this Sermon on the Mount that we call it, momentum in his ministry is, is gaining traction. In fact, the first verse in chapter 5, I believe it's verse 1, it says that, that when Jesus saw the crowds, and so there are crowds of people following Jesus. And so he goes up on a hill as a rabbi would do, and he sits down, and people come around him, and he begins to teach. He begins to teach about the kingdom. He begins to teach about what the kingdom of God looks like. He begins to teach about what life looks like as the subjects of the king live within the context of the kingdom. And so these principles that Jesus is going to speak of should be present, not perfected, but present in the life of a Jesus follower. That we should be living into these things by his grace, by the power of the Spirit, enabling us to live with a kingdom mindset and not a world mindset. Now, as you move through the Beatitudes, even as you move through those three chapters, there there should be kind of a uh, a little bit of a tension that kind of grows within us. Because we should evaluate ourselves and our own hearts. Are we living into these things? Again, please hear me. This is not about you being perfect. If you can achieve perfection, Jesus wasted his time. But this is about you being aware of where you are in your life, the things that are in your heart, and being aware that God has poured out his Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive and well in you, and enabling you, encouraging you to live in these kingdom principles. You know, there, there are some, it just stands to reason that 
that attend church every Sunday, and they've, they've made this, they, 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 they say they've accepted Jesus, and yet there's no difference in the way they live as opposed to somebody who doesn't walk at all with Christ. People will remain kind of self-sufficient. People will remain kind of self-focused, focused on things of the world, on materialism, even, even a sense of arrogance that they'll walk around with. Because, in part, I believe they've missed the first principle in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus lays out, which is really the foundation of everything else that builds upon it. And it's about the poverty of our own spirit. These beatitudes, they're really, they're, they're, they will cut to the heart those who hear, and those who hear will live a life that's blessed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed doesn't mean happy. Happy, happiness is very subjective. It kind of ebbs and flows with what's happening in your life. Some days you're happy, some days you're not so happy, some days there's different degrees of happiness. And so circumstances really dictate happiness. And so Jesus isn't telling us how people feel. What he's what he is telling us is how God sees us which is very objective. Blessed here in this context, blessed means to be approved by God. When you have been blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, approved of those by God who are poor in spirits. Now there are emotional um, connections or attachments to the truth that God has approved us, that we stand approved before him because of our need of Christ. But it goes beyond just our emotionalism. It goes beyond just kind of our feelings. This is God pronouncing over us who we are, not who he hopes we were going to be. Not hoping that, wishing that we were something. Blessed. Approved by God. Now again, it's always good to do a little self-evaluation. In your heart... Is God's approval the single most important thing in your life? More than the approval of your, your spouse or your boss or, or anything or anyone else. Is God's approval the single most important thing in your life? And if you can come to that place of making that the priority, God's the priority. He's the number one thing. He's the thing that I'm always looking at, always focusing on. Even when I stumble, even when I fall by his grace, he picks me up and I refocus on the things of God. If you can come to that place, then the Beatitudes are going to not only penetrate deep down into your heart, but you will be blessed. You will be blessed. This is talking about the condition of what's inside. It's not telling us the things that we need to do. You'll be blessed if you do this, that, the other thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Now let's establish what this is not. This is not thinking of yourself as worthless. God doesn't make worthless. You have been created in his image. You've been created in the image of God. And anything that tells you you are less than that is a lie from the very pit of hell. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, Paul tells that church two times, once in each chapter, that you have been bought with a price. And that's the price of the life of the Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if he has paid that price for each and every one of us, you must have value that goes beyond what you can understand. Beyond your understanding. It doesn't mean that you have to be kind of shy or or introverted. It doesn't mean that you have to kind of look humble, like, look at me. I'm the most humble guy you'll ever meet. Which is true, but I don't like to say that often. (laughs) See, when people are anxious for you to recognize their humility, when people are anxious for you to recognize that they have taken the least or the, or the poorest spot, it's, it's false humility. It's not poor in spirit. It's look at me. Look at me. The word poor used here, uh, in the Greek, it means to beg or cower or cringe as a beggar. It's an interesting definition, huh? To cringe, to cower. In the New Testament, the definition would be um, a person who is so poor that they can only live or survive by begging from people 100% of the time. That they can't make it without begging, cringing, cowering. They're dependent on someone else. Blessed are those who are so desperately poor in spiritual resources that they need something besides themselves just to survive. To be poor in spirit is knowing that within yourself, apart from Jesus, that within yourself, you are literally bankrupt. There is nothing in you that can make you okay before God. To be poor in spirit, you know that there is sin in your life. And that sin compared to the perfection of God falls miserably short. And that apart from Christ, that sin can never, will never be forgiven. It's poor in spirit. Poor in spirit see the truth of their spiritual neediness. Eugene Peterson in the message, he, it's, it's a transliteration. Um, he he uh, says this, he writes this verse this way. He says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. And you know this idea of poverty, spiritual poverty, it pushes against what the world says important because the world says you need to be self-sufficient. You need to look out for number one. 
You need to make sure that you got it all together. The world tells you, blessed is the person who is always right. Blessed is the person who has the most toys. Blessed is the person who has a good job, a good car, and a nice house. Blessed is the person that, that um, has a loud voice and people listen to. Blessed is the person who has climbed the corporate ladder and is now manager of that department. Blessed is the person who buys their pastor a Harley Davidson. Blessed... That one's, that one's true. Ble- but, but all the rest, no. That's the world standard of blessing. What the king says, what the king tells us, is blessed to those who realize there's nothing within themselves to get them close to God. Blessed are they. And so we need to We need to embrace this principle. It needs to become part of of who we are, the reality of our poor in spirit. King David in the Old Testament, arguably the the greatest king in Israel, due in part to his poor in spirit attitude, he he says something before the Lord, which in, in 2 Samuel He said, then King David went in and and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. David understood who he is apart from God. That he is nothing without him. And the scripture is filled with people that speak and recognize those truths. Gideon, Old Testament. God wants him to go out and destroy an army. He's got way too many guys. Thousands of them. God says, whittle it down, brother. He goes with 300 But what's, what's even more fascinating about that story is when God calls him... Gideon says, wait, wait a minute, you're calling me? I'm, I'm part, my, my tribe, my clan is like the least of all the tribes and clans in Israel. And in fact, in fact, God, I'm the most insignificant person in my entire family. Poor in spirit. This is not self-deprecation. This is not, I'm a horrible person. This is understanding that without God, we really bring nothing to the table. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she said, the Lord looked upon my humble estate. The Lord has seen that in the world's eyes. Man, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a, I'm a peasant girl. And I will give birth to the Son of God. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when he goes to the temple and he, and he unrolls the scroll and he gets to Isaiah and he reads the words of the scroll, he said that he has come, that the scroll says he has come to bring good news to the, to the poor. And this isn't about poor being financially strapped. This is about the poor who recognize that outside of God, there's no possibility for any way of them to survive. That's what the poor means. Good news to the poor. And the principle is played out over and over again in the pages of the Bible. I would even go far as to say that this idea of spiritual bankruptcy is essential 
for kingdom life. But it's also God's grace to us. See, I'm really not sure that you can follow Jesus without it because until you see that you're in need, you're not going to recognize your need. Does that make sense? Until you realize that you have a need, you're not going to realize that you're in need. Until you've come to the end of your rope, you are still going to try to shimmy up that rope. Until you think that you can get it done by yourself, you're going to continue to do it by yourself. I wonder how many Christians attend churches across the world every Sunday who really don't know Jesus because they have not come to the point of their spiritual emptiness before God. They have not come to the point that they bring nothing to the table, that God through Christ brings everything to the table. The confession, the confession should be God, there's nothing in me that can make me right with you. Thank you for your son. That's grace. That's the cross. The people that are lost are the people that think they have some type of merit in them that when they come before God, they're accepted. Look at how much I give. Look at how many times I attend church. Look at how many chapters and verses I can, I can uh, regurgitate. Look at how much I read. Look at how much I serve. Those are the people that are really lost within the church. But the ones who have found Jesus are the ones that come before him and say, I bring nothing but myself. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Salvation, your right standing with God, the forgiveness of your sin is through faith in Christ and Christ alone, period. That's it. And poverty of spirit, poor in spirit, is a posture of that faith. And when we come before the throne, recognizing our neediness, our bankruptcy, our nothingness before the Lord, nothing that we could give to him that's going to make him accept us. When we come to him with that attitude, he pours out upon us grace and mercy. And it's the heart that comes impoverished before him that receives that grace. If grace is God's un merited favor, then it can only be received thinking, understanding that you bring nothing that's going to merit you to him. It's his love of you. It's that he loves us first, that he pours out that grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I don't think we're ever going to outgrow poor in spirit. Well, we shouldn't outgrow poor in spirit. I don't think we mature beyond it because no one comes to Jesus unless that posture is within their hearts. 
And no one can fully mature, continue to mature, unless we recognize our neediness of God himself and everything that he has for us. It's a foundational principle that is the basis of our maturing into the image of his son. And I believe the more spiritually mature we become, the more that we realize our own spiritual poverty. God's grace. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Meaning only those who come before God, spiritually poor, will enter the kingdom. In fact, the kingdom, the kingdom belongs to them. It's, it's theirs. And this reward is, is both it's both now and, it, and, it's, and it's in the future when Christ returns that we are part of the kingdom. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Not most, some, every, every spiritual blessing you have been given because you are part of the kingdom. We have been given kingdom authority. The power to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been gifted, given. And that is the reservoir that fills up. When we empty ourselves of ourselves, we leave room for God to fill us with the spirit and the power that is the kingdom. That we begin to live, those, those blessings begin to manifest themselves in the physical realm, in our daily lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The impoverished self makes much room for the reign and rule of God. And when the reign and rule of God is able to manifest itself within our heart and soul, we are free to be filled with the Spirit. We are free for freedom's sake. We are free to live the kingdom life. We are free to move in the authority that God has given us. We have been freed from, from our past and we enter into this future. Imagine that, that you have to come impoverished and God pours into you his life, his blessing, his spirit, and you move in such a way that people will notice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's this, this story in Luke chapter 18. I don't know if I put it up here. I did. And this is Jesus. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector. A fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The religious guy who does good things, fasts, tithes, is not like those other evildoers. Jesus, he's lost. He's lost. And then there's the tax collector, the lowest of the low in that society. Won't even look up to heaven. God, have mercy on me. And understands his spiritual state. Understands that he is in need of God. Understands that there's nothing within him that's going to make him better or right before God. It's only God and God himself that's going to do that. Won't even look up. Have mercy on me. Sinner. Blessed are the ones that ask, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think it's good to continually ask ourselves, where is our heart? It's good to continually ask ourselves, Are we a church attender or are we a Jesus follower? Do we attend Bible studies or do we follow Christ? Have you come to the place of understanding that you can bring nothing with you to come before Christ? He requires only one thing, you. You. In understanding that nothing in you is good enough, but through Christ you have been made righteous. That nothing in you is going to get your sin forgiven, but by the cross of Christ, by the blood of Christ, faith in the cross, in him, you've been forgiven. There's nothing that you can say or do to get you restored into good graces with God except accepting his son for what he's done on the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If there's things churning in you this morning that you need prayer for, But you're worried what people are going to say. Look at, he's going up there for prayer. That's the pride of life. That's the enemy trying to keep you away from the things of God. Hey, hey Ben, would you tickle the keyboard for a, little, for a few minutes? We're going to just take some time. Um, we got some people to pray. Mike and Jim and Sue, would you be willing? And uh, would you go stand in the corner to give people maybe an opportunity that they might want to be prayed over? Kurt and Peggy, would you would you come on up and pray for people too? Maybe you stand in this corner.
If God is tugging on you in some way, shape, or form, and you're nervous about coming up for prayer, it's the enemy trying to keep you down. He wants freedom for you. He wants to know that you're poor in spirit is his grace to you that you can stop trying that you can stop beating yourself up that you can stop and quiet those those voices in your head that say you're not good enough because really you're not but through Christ you have been made more than good more than conquerors blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are those who stop beating themselves up. Blessed are those who walk around with their head hung low and thinking that God is always aggravated with you. He's not. Not if you have Christ. Let's take a few minutes.